Thanks, Rach. I appreciate that. And I'm so glad that you are here. As Pastor Bobby said, welcome home to Sugar Hill Church. Today, we're going to talk a little bit about uh, mission. Two weeks ago, we talked about time. Last week, we talked about making sure that we were intentional. And then today, we want to talk about mission and what that means in our life as followers of Christ and what should the church actually be about. And you find this story found in the Gospel of Luke in chapter 7. So if you have a Bible or a device you want to open up, or you have a Bible with you, then open up with me online or here in the room in Luke chapter 7, beginning in verse 11. Jesus, a little background, he and his disciples are walking together, and they're headed into this little town. And as they head into the town, they are moved with compassion. Jesus is moved with compassion because there is a, a, a widow, a single mom, who has one son, and her only son has died. So this lady's got this incredible trauma happening in her life where her husband has already passed. And keep in mind that in the first century, when you were a widow, you, it wasn't like everybody flocked to help you. Everybody shunned you. When, in the first century as a widow, you, you were shunned and you were on your own. It's not like you got help. It's not like you got what your husband had. You literally got nothing. I mean, they, they were treated literally like third-class citizens. And so this poor woman, not only now has she lost everything, she's lost her son, and they're on the way to bury him. You've got the, the, you've got the, 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 the guys carrying the casket. What are they called? Pallbearers. They're, I mean, it's just brain. I've got to start taking Prevagen or something. But they're carrying this, this casket, and as they're carrying the casket, Jesus and the guys show up. Listen to what it says. Soon afterward, Jesus went with his disciples to the village of Nine. And a large crowd followed him. By the way, keep this in mind that a crowd's watching to see what happens. And have you ever noticed that where Jesus shows up, a crowd seems to show up? Wherever Jesus shows up, there, there's something to learn. There's something to watch. Something about to happen. And it says in verse 12, a funeral procession was coming out as he approached the village gate. And the young man who had died was a widow's only son. And a large crowd from the village was with her. And when the Lord saw her, his heart overflowed with compassion. Now, I love that because at the heart of mission should be compassion. At the heart of mission, there has to be something that wells up in your soul and your heart that says, okay, I need to do something about this. Because compassion, if you just hold on to it and don't let it get into action, compassion literally just sits there and withers away and does nothing until you put it into action. It's like saying, I love you, but you never demonstrate it. Are you with me? Nobody said a word today. Are you with me? Okay, let's work on this a little bit more. So as we keep going, we realize that Jesus says, don't cry. So what we know is this poor widow, I mean, with all the trauma in her life, she's just lost it, right? I mean, she's just, she completely just flipped her lid. The crowd around her is wailing. A first century funeral would have had wailers that, they were professional wailers that came and just, they were crying over this. I mean, not just not, you know, quiet tears, but wailing was going on. And Jesus speaks up, and notice in the text that it says, don't cry with an exclamation point. Like Jesus doesn't walk into the crowd quietly and say, you know, just stop. I mean, Jesus walks in the midst of the crowd and says, hey, don't cry. Don't cry, he said. Then he walked over to the coffin and touched it. And the bearer stopped. Now listen to what Jesus says. First of all, I want you to see his compassion caused him to give of himself and step into the mess. I mean, let's face it. 
Nobody here enjoys going to a funeral. Nobody woke up in the morning and said, you know what I can't wait to do is go see my friend or my loved one buried. But Jesus doesn't avoid it. He doesn't blow past it. Did you notice that he doesn't, he doesn't say, you know, I'd love to help, but I got to go. I got appointments in Jerusalem. I got to get out of here. Notice that Jesus doesn't have handlers that says, you got to go. Jesus just stops. And when he stops, he steps into, and notice that the Bible says that he uses his hand to touch. Now, I want you to know that scientists have proven over and over again in social science that we as humans are in desperate need of people that will actually touch and hold us and care for us, especially, most especially, when we're in moments of trauma. Jesus reaches out and touches, and listen to what he says, young man. He doesn't say, hey, dead kid. He says, young man. And then listen to what he says. I tell you, get up. Now, if you're the crowd, I mean, that's a drop the mic moment. I mean, if you're the crowd, it's like, what in the world? That boy is as dead as dead can be. Can you not see the mom? The crowd doesn't start talking. The crowd doesn't lambast him with, how could you be so cold or cruel? Listen to what he says again. He touched the coffin and said, young man, I tell you, get up. Then listen. Then the dead boy sat up and began to talk. Now, tell me people weren't freaked out. Tell me that when this kid raises up out of that coffin, once dead as dead could be, and starts talking, what do you think he said? Now, the scripture doesn't tell us what he said. It just says he started talking. Yeah, my guess is he said, how about that? I mean, seriously, when he stood up, what else would you think? Like, dude, that was crazy. Being dead is not cool, right? And then he goes on and says, great fear swept the crowd. But before that happened, Jesus does something. It says that Jesus gave that boy back to his mother. Tell me God's not about family. Tell me God doesn't love a single mom. Tell me God doesn't have compassion for brokenness. When Jesus, the Lord, steps into that mess and he says, boy, sit up. And the boy starts talking, and immediately he gives that boy back to his mom where he belongs. And the people, they said, were swept up. And they praised God and said, a mighty prophet has risen among us, and God has visited his people today. Watch this. When you act on compassion, people around you that you never knew will see that God has visited us through his people today. When you step into areas that need your compassion to overflow, the presence of God is so strong that people will be amazed at the fact that you acted on your compassion. Because we live in a world today that does not honor that, but honors you being busy, you being successful, you having more friends and followers. We, we, we tend to honor people who are Instagram heroes, not folks that are reaching out into the desperate parts of the world. We tend to honor people who have made it in athletics, in academics, in business, in law, and all kinds of things. But Jesus said, if you want to be great, you've got to become a servant. Jesus comes along and steps into the misery and does something that nobody else can do. 
The question I would ask is, what is the clear sign of someone who's a disciple of Jesus? What are the virtues that should stand out abundantly clear for a follower of Christ? And what should distinguish the vision and the mission of a church from any other organization in the world? Well, in the final dialogue Jesus has with his disciples before his passion, death, and resurrection, Jesus reminded his followers of this text in John 13, 34. And it says this, A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another as I have loved you. By this, all will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. Now watch this. He didn't say, now if you guys will get together with people who agree with you, who look like you, who dress like you, who sing like you, who worship like you, and y'all stay all huddled up together, then that's going to be sweet. Jesus said, this is what I want you to do. Love one another as I have loved you. This is what I love. Jesus loved black people, brown people, white people, Asian people. Do you know what Jesus loved? Fat people and skinny people, tall people and short people, bald-headed people and hairy people, pretty people and ugly people. And don't tell me there ain't some of us out there. And Jesus said, but I love you. I don't care who you are. I don't care where you've been. I don't care what you've done. I love you. Now watch this. I want you to hear this clearly. Are you ready? How many of you today would say Jesus is without question my Lord and I am a Christ follower already? Can I see your hands? Keep them up for a minute. Keep them up for a minute. Here's what Jesus is saying to you if your hand is up right now. Here's what he's saying to you. You are to love one another. And this is the command I give you, not a suggestion. Keep them up. Don't, don't get lazy on me. And by this, all will know that you are my disciples. So if people watched us and our love in action this past week, would anybody say of you, now that person, now that's a follower of Jesus. Thank you. Put your hands down. That one hurt. If you love one another. Now watch this. If I say I love my wife, Jenny, but I do nothing to show her I love you, how deep is my love? Pretty shallow, right? If you say you love Jesus and your heart is not moved by compassion to do something, my question for you is, are you sure you know Jesus? Like, do you know that you know that you know Jesus? The first and most fundamental description of God and of his followers is one word, love. Love without condition and most certainly not love based on people that agree with me politically, socially, or spiritually, but love, period. And if we're not willing to be those people, I think that we should ask our question, are we genuinely the church of Jesus the Lord? But he, he goes on in Scripture that we are to love our enemy as well. You say, Chuck, he's gone too far now. I mean, there's... I can't love those people. I can't love those Republicans. I can't love those Democrats. I, and Jesus said, stop it. Love. Just love. Love in action describes one other virtue that is central for all Christians and needs to always be at the center of this church. At the very heart of the vision and mission of this church is one word, not just mission, not just love, but compassion. Compassion. Expressing not only empathy for one another, 
where we enter into the suffering and struggles of others, but going beyond empathy to action, putting a concrete form onto our love. I told this story at the end of the service last hour, but I'll tell it now. An 11-year-old boy, this is a true story, an 11-year-old boy by the name of Taylor Meehan had been serving with his mom at a homeless shelter. She was trying to pour compassion and empathy and trying to pour mission into her young son's life. And it's a cold January night, and they're serving about 600 people at this homeless shelter. And he brings his food to one man because he gets to work in the soup line. And this guy stops, older, much older, African-American, looks at him and says, son, what's your name? And this little boy was caught off guard. Nobody talks to him. He's a kid. I mean, he's a kid. Who talks to a kid in a soup kitchen? I mean, he's just cleaning up tables and throwing trash away. It, nobody cares who this kid and this, this one Black man stops and says, what's your name? And this kid tells him, my, my name's Taylor. So Taylor starts talking to him before people say, you got to move on. The line's being held up. So Taylor just says, forget it. Somebody else can do soup. And he walks around with this man, and he sits down on the floor with him. And he notices on this cold January night, his, his coat's got holes in it, and his shoes are a pair of Chuck Converse's. But the flaps come off the backwards unglued, and the front's got holes in it, and he's got no socks. And so this young boy thinks, there's a, there's a storage bin back there. I'm going to go back there and see what's what. And he goes back. He can't find a coat for this man, but he finds a pair of shoes. And he brings them all out, and he says, hey, sit on the floor and put your feet out. So they put their feet together, and he said, that's funny. Your feet about the same size as my feet. He took off his Nike Air Jordans, those $150 ones, and put them on that man's feet with his socks. He put on the shoes he got from the back room, but the shoes he gotten from the back room was a pair of fluffy women's sandals. That's not the end of the story. He walked around that week in those fuzzy pink sandals with people asking him why, and he said, why not you? I guess I'd ask you all the same question, which gives me a great time to introduce my friend Jim Hollinsworth. Come on up, Jim. Jim is the, uh, with his wife, Melinda. Wave to everybody, Melinda. She's the brains of the organization. And um, they founded Path Project. When I first met Jim, uh, I met, I was with Susan Roebuck, one of my favorite people on the planet. It's gone to be with the Lord now. But uh, we sat down because we've been praying, how, would we, how could we find a way to serve our community better in helping kids graduate from school? Because about seven years ago, um, the dropout rate of Latino children in Lanier High School is over 70% by the time they hit their junior year. And uh, Susan came to me, she said, you're not going to believe this. I met this guy named Jim Hollinsworth. And I said, Hollinsworth, Jim Hollinsworth, that sounds familiar. I went to high school with his mom. I didn't know you were that old. I am that old, and I didn't need <laughs> you to remind me of it. But I'm, I met Jim, and I thought, wait a minute, I know this dude. And he started telling me about how the Lord drew him to path and how they launch path. And I began to think even then, you know, compassion and mission comes in the form of giving, going, and sowing. We give of our time, we give of our talent, we give of our treasure. You know, we, we, we go, we actually tangibly step into and do, and there's so many ways to do. And then we sow, we tell people about what's going on. We make awareness out there that people understand what's going on because God uses that talk. When we talk openly about the things of God, God uses it. And when I met Jim, my first thought was, my goodness, this, is a, this guy's a brother from another mother. We, we, we share this passion, and it took us two minutes to say we're in. 
And one of the things I told Jim years ago was, when it's all said and done, I want you to look back and say Sugar Hill Church is the model of what a church is supposed to be to partner with y'all. And we're, we're getting there. I mean, we're getting close. But Jim, I want you to tell us a little bit how you and Melinda, just how did PATH get going? How did it get started? What was the heart behind it? And the kind of compassion, like what, when I heard you, I've heard you tell the story multiple times now, but I'm telling you when that little girl says, are you gonna stay? That just breaks my heart. So tell us a little bit. Yeah, sure. So uh, my wife, Melinda and I, we both were born and raised here in Gwinnett, um, like many of you. How many, how many native Gwinnettians here? Um, a lot of folks. So you guys, uh, you know, we're from Snellville, so like the opposite end of Gwinnett from here, but, but probably really similar to how many of you grew up. Uh, we grew up in a very uh, middle-class suburban um, bubble in a lot of ways. Uh, so fast forward, we met when we were in our 20s. We got married. I was working in, in ministry at a church in, in Loganville. Uh, Melinda was teaching second grade. We bought a little house, and we're, we're like, hey, we're living the American dream. Like, things are good. Like, we're, we're good. And, and then right after that, we were kind of like feeling restless. You ever have that restless yeah. feeling? Yeah. And so, but we had no idea what it meant. Did the restlessness kind, kind of feel a little bit like, um, I know we're supposed to do something, but you don't know what to do? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So that's how we, 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 you know, we were in church. We had gone on some overseas trips, and we felt like, hey, God wants us to do something, but we didn't know what that looked like. And many of you may have had some similar experiences, like especially in the suburbs, you can, you can look around or drive around and think that everything's okay everything's cool. and that There's everybody's no okay. Yeah. Right. Uh, and so for us, we felt that way for a long time. And it wasn't until one Christmas, 2008, we signed up with our church and our small group to deliver Christmas presents to a family through the Southeast Gwinnett Co-op. So you guys have the North Gwinnett Co-op here. Uh, Kim and her team are awesome. We've worked with them a ton. So the Southeast Gwinnett Co-op is a, a similar ministry in Snellville. Uh, we signed up. We said, hey, we'll, 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 drive the, you know, we'll drive the car and go take these gifts to the family. And so we did. And we drove into this neighborhood three miles from our house in Loganville. And it felt like we were driving into another country. Wow. Culturally, just... Wow. Um, the language, the food, it just, it felt different. And for me, I look back on that moment, you know, everything that's come from then, like I, I actually struggle a lot with um, like just guilt and shame because I was 30 years old. I was born and raised in Snellville. My family had been there forever, driven up and down this main road my whole life. And until that day, I never knew that this neighborhood even existed. Mm. But I believe that's true here. I, I believe we drive by neighborhoods all the time. We drive by Peachtree Village and we drive by the other two uh, mobile home parks here. We don't think anything about it. We're just doing our thing and going busy about our world. The problem is that, you know, when Jesus gave it the Great Commission, he didn't say, now, set a specific time. He, he said, as you are going, do these things. So you deliver this Christmas gift. And by the way, one of the things that uh, we ought to know here is that, you know, every year we provide about 320 Christmas gifts for children in our Title I schools here in the city. And then uh, the last few years and this year we'll provide about 300 gifts for children in each mule in the Yucatan. Uh, and I committed y'all to about 300 more gifts for children in the uh, Uvalde School District. So we got almost 1,000 gifts to come up with this Christmas, but I'm, I'm pretty sure we will. I mean, y'all never dot not deliver, but... But it's a powerful thing because you realize that you're, you're entering into a challenge, a season, a problem, you know, something that's not ideal with compassion. 
Yeah, so that's what happened to us. So we drove into this neighborhood not knowing anything about it. Um, we drove to the home where this family lived who had registered for the gifts. It was a family, first-generation immigrant family from Mexico, uh, living in a single-wide trailer, not much bigger than you know this, this stage that we're on, with six or seven kids um, with, and, and a mom and a dad. Parents didn't speak English. The older siblings in this family had, had already dropped out of school. Mm-hmm. Younger kids were in school. Um, and, and, you know, we, we showed up, though. We didn't, like, we didn't know what to do. Yeah. So we just left. Um, you know, we stayed. Well, that's what you do. You, you did your thing. You yeah, leave. that's kind of what we yeah. thought is, like, hey, this is what we're supposed to do. You know, and we did our good deed. And, and, and we recognized really quickly that, uh, like, it didn't go away. Yeah. The yeah. feeling of, hey, these are our neighbors. Yeah. And like what do we do? The, one of the things about uh, Sugar Hill Church that y'all know, many of you may not know this, that one of the things we hold dear when it comes to being on mission and acting in compassion is that your money and your people ought to go to the same place for a long time. You ought, you ought to build relationships over the course of time with the people you serve because they're, they're not a statistic, and we're not a, we're not a Savior. We're simply a tool that gets to deliver the Savior and be able to be used by the Lord. And every study shows, by the way, If you're here today and you're riddled with anxiety or even depression, every study will show the fastest way out of that is to act on compassion for somebody else and serve them. And I would just say to you, let's do that at the same place for a long time. And that's why we partnered with PATH, because, listen, it's making a radical difference in these communities. How many PATH communities are you in now? We're in nine different neighborhoods. Wow, wow, wow. So finish up the story. Yeah, yeah. no, no, it's great. So, so yeah, we started showing up every couple weeks or so to just visit this family. We, we felt very unqualified. We, felt, we didn't know what to do, but we were like, Let's just, we can just keep stopping by and say hello. Yeah. So we did that for a long time, several months. One afternoon, we were there visiting, and the mom and the family asked my wife, Melinda, can you guys help our kids with homework because I don't speak English? Mm. So for us, that was a light bulb went off. Like, I'm not really qualified to do anything, but I was a pastor at the time and had plenty of free time. So I just, I didn't have anything going on in the afternoon. So uh, my wife was a teacher, so she was, you know, obviously very qualified. So we said, yes, we can show up and-, and You're do killing little, me little. on that one. <laughs> I got you good last service. Yeah. So, um, so we showed up and and- just decided to help with some homework because the mom asked, invited us into doing that. And so that's what we did. Yeah. We came back uh, the next week and did a little bit more homework. We talked to the property manager, said, hey, we think that there's a need for a homework club. Can we start a club? And the parents were said, yeah, that'd be great. So pretty soon we had 30 or 40 kids come into wow. a weekly homework club and we, we didn't know what we were doing. And, and we were breaking up fights. Still just me and Melinda. So um, we... <laughs> We actually went to our church after a few weeks of doing this, went to our church on a Sunday morning and, and told them what was going on and said, we have no clue what's happening here, but we'd like to invite y'all to come with us. That Sunday night, there was a shooting mm. in the trailer park. Mm. And we were scared. Like, we thought about not going back. Y'all bet. Sure. Um, but we went back the next week, and the kids were telling us about it. And, and, and the property manager comes to me and says, Hey, the trailer where the shooting happened is now vacant. Y'all can have it if you if you want it. And I might would have thought about that. And one well, twice. we did. We totally did. Now, we we actually. So it, it it was a really strange scenario. So thankfully, the people who were shot were not killed, but they left, and so the trailer was abandoned. And I actually ended up having to go meet 
a drug dealer and pick up the title to the trailer at a gas station. It was just kind of sketchy thing, you know. I look, I don't even, I don't, it's kind of like. That's how you finance this ministry. That's right. okay? <laughs> <laughs> and it's all coming together now. So, so anyway, long story short. Bullet holes and everything? I, there was, we walk in this trailer for the first time. There was, there was bullet holes and blood on the floor. And I had no vision for it. I said, we can't do this. And a, a buddy of mine who was a contractor came with me, and he was like, this is easy. We, we cleaned it up. We filled a dumpster. We turned it into a community center. We started doing homework two afternoons a week. Really cool things started happening. Still didn't have all the answers. Still making mistakes. Uh, but we learned a lot. Yeah. And the thing that changed our life the most was a few months in at that point, a sixth grade girl named Sophia. She asked a question that changed our lives. She asked my wife, Melinda, one afternoon at homework club. She looked at her and said, when are you going to leave? And Melinda said, what do you mean? And she said, every time a church comes into our neighborhood, they always leave. Mm. They never stay. So we went home that night and said, we're not leaving. We need yeah. to figure this out. Yeah. And so we did. We, mm. It's one of the reasons why it was so easy to say yes to PATH. Uh, because you know what, folks? There, there are a lot of organizations and churches out there that want to show up and have a photo op. Let's all get together and put poor people behind us and take a picture of we came and we did something for an hour. But honestly, uh, you know, you can't impress the Lord with that. We ought to be building relationships with folks long term. PATH started out with a focus on education, and it still is focused on education, but they made a move a year and a half or so ago that I thought was so radically awesome because it was now, it was a more holistic approach to relationships, not just with those kids, but those families, and building relationships that will be lifelong. I don't know about you, but I don't want to just go share Jesus. I want to share Jesus and watch people grow up in Jesus. I want to see kids graduate, but I want to see kids grow up to love Jesus. I want them to grow up and know we didn't leave. I want, them to sh- I want those kids to graduate from high school and look over and say, that's my church, those are my people, and I love them. And that's why we want not just to keep going with Peachtree Village, but two more. You know, I, this, these, I told Jenny this last night, the single greatest fear for, that I have for our church now that we're debt-free, is, yeah, bless God, right? Now that we're, you know what my greatest, my greatest fear is that we're going to get lazy and that we're going to come together and huddle up and think, isn't it sweet? We're, we're paid off. We made it. We're done. But listen, now is not the time to close the doors and huddle up. Now is the time to open the doors and put the foot in the gas. Now is the time to do more than we've ever done before. Now is the time to take one big month of that saving and open up a new trailer park this year. This year, I'm tired of playing. This community needs us. But now hear me. To do that, we got to finish paying for what, you're, what we're already committed to over at Peachtree Village. It takes about 75, 80 grand a year to do all that programming with all those kids and everything going on. Our church has been on the line for half or a little better, something like that. But honestly, folks, PATH can't keep doing it and keep growing. So here's what I'm asking you to do. If you'll put the, the, the text thing on the screen for me, guys. I'm asking you to help us raise the 40000 to meet the shortfall. And then we'll take a month or more of our savings from, from a mortgage payment to open the other one. Deal? 
Now you say, well, Chuck, how would we come up with that money? If we simply gave over the next few months what we have been giving to pay off the debt, that's more than taken care of. And then we'll take one month, about a month and a half savings of what we have in our mortgage to do the other one. And you say, well, Chuck, that seems like, that seems like an easy way to do it. No, that's, that's a New Testament way to do it. Get out of debt and don't spend your money on fountains. Spend your money on people. Don't spend your money on, let's building edifices. Let's spend it on people Amen. and relationships that will last for an eternity. And as for me, as for this church, let us not grow lazy in doing good. Now is the time to put pedal to the metal and go. <laughs> Y'all going to get me fired up here. <laughs> Jim, you got to talk. I'm gonna, I got to cough. So I think one of the cool things you said a second ago, <laughs> yes, you know, we started doing homework. So we started in 2008. We're still, we're still rolling in Loganville. We've expanded to nine neighborhoods. We've been in Peachtree Village since 2016. Um, and one of the things we've learned over that time is what you hinted at is that even for kids who are struggling in school and even in neighborhoods where there's high dropout rates, homework is awesome, but there is a root cause to a, to a, to a, That's right. a kid's academic achievement. Yep. And it is, it is the lack of social and emotional skill development that comes from positive adult relationships pouring into kids over time, over Absolutely. time, over time. Of course, like the parents of the kids that we work with are amazing. They work hard for their kids, but they are working all the time to survive. Right, right. And our team comes alongside the parents of our students to help the kids not just survive, but yeah. to thrive in life, to Absolutely. flourish. Absolutely. So we're asking you today, Jim has a table out, out back, and I'm asking you today, I know you're hungry, but, but stop by the table. He has three ways in which you can engage with PATH, all right? There are QR codes on this card. Make sure you do that. One of them is this Thursday, right? This Thursday. This Thursday is an open house at Peachtree Village. And many of you just need to sign up and say, I'll show up, just see what's going on. I'll promise you, when you see what's going on, you're just going to say, okay, how can I help? But just show up. Just give it a shot. Just try, right? Just do that. It's kind of like on the video. Just try. Head that way. Some of you can give. And some of you can go onto an Amazon wish list and help provide materials that they need. So I'm asking you to give to go and to sow. I'm asking you unashamedly to give. Let's raise 40 grand and let's finish Peachtree Village so we can go on and get this other one done. Text to give, see me, do whatever, but let's get this thing done. All right? You, you, get, you gave totally more than $60,000 toward Uvalde. Right in our backyard, let's make this happen. By the way, the same root cause there is the same root cause that happened in Uvalde. Not having adults pouring into the life of a kid that got broken. Folks, let's do this. Let's give of our time. Let's give of our treasure. Let's, let's, let's give of our talent. But then I'm going to ask you, don't, don't, don't just give. Go. Go do something. By the way, it's two miles from here. Let's go do something. You say, well, Chuck, what can I do? Path is an avenue to go do. It's a way that, that, that your compassion has action to it. And then third, this is something you can all do. I'm asking you to sow. You can use, you just find Path on Facebook, find it on Instagram, find it all the other social places they are, but get on there and share, share, share. Let the world know what Path is doing. And by the way, you talk about it. Talk about the things of God that's happening because when you do that, God multiplies that voice. 
You can go, you can give, you can sow. Everybody can do this. So I just urge you, don't mess around with this. Let's put our compassion in action. Let me close with this thought. You ready? The reason why four churches a week in America closed their doors for the last time is that the only blessed thing they cared about is what happened inside their church. Find me a church who's more concerned about what's happening out there than what's happening in here, and I'll show you a church on fire in here. Let us not grow weary, church. Yes, we labored to get out of debt. Yes, you gave and sacrificed to get out of debt. But we did not get out of debt so we could huddle up and be comfortable. (coughs) We struggled to go do something for people that are struggling. Let's do this. Let's pray. (coughs) Lord, today, I'm asking you to fall on the hearts of men and women to cause us to go and to give and to sow, to be a part of PATH and your continued ministry and work. God, I thank you for Jim and Melinda, their family, and their willingness to stop and serve with compassion. Lord, we love you and we praise you and thank you that we have the privilege to go, the privilege to give, and the privilege to sow. And I would ask you, Lord, that um, we would never grow weary in doing good, but that we would be a church on fire for you, that we would never forget that there are people hurting and you've called us to serve. And so, Lord, thank you for that. In the name of Jesus, we pray. And everyone said, amen. Amen. When we're done, I'm going to ask you, if you would, go see Jim's table. I'm going to slip out and go over and celebrate Pastor Mauricio's one-year anniversary as pastor of Sugar Hill Espanol. Yeah. So, Pastor Bobby, if you'll come close us, I would appreciate it greatly. Jim, we love you, my friend. Thank you, man. Your family. Yes, we love you guys. Amen. Amen. I love you, church. I'm going to go celebrate with Mal a little bit. When you see him, bless him with a, hey, how you doing today? Would you show your appreciation to Jim for being with us today and Melinda and the fam? We're so grateful. Uh, It's been a good day to be here, right? It's been a great day. And next Sunday, I do want to encourage you to try to be here in person. Uh, Pastor Chuck has a closing message for this August series that we've been in. And I really think it's one of the the most important ones as it sort of shapes and talks about what our next steps are as a church this fall. But if you don't mind, let's stand together as we get ready to head out. And I would just love to read this closing piece of scripture. As we fast forward to Revelation, we fast forward to the scene that's going to happen one day soon. John describes this. He says, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth has passed away, and there was no longer any sea. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Look, God's dwelling place is now among the people, and he will dwell with them. They will be his people, and God himself will be with them and be their God. And I love this part, verse 4. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain, for the old order of things has passed away. Heavenly Father, we're so grateful for the hope of heaven. We're so grateful that you're in the ministry of making all things new. Lord, I pray that you'd help all of us in this day to live with this sense of mission, 
Help us to put our compassion into action wherever you have us. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. And everyone said, amen. Amen. We love you guys. Have a fantastic rest of your Sunday. Please make plans to join us next week.